Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. If this is your first time tuning in, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry, really walk through their story, how they've gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we start talking to today's guest, I just want to reiterate my main goal, which is to truly impact over 1 million people. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcast, share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague. And if you're really feeling special, leave a review of Next Level Minds and let me know what you think. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I do want to shout out today's sponsor, which is OMJ Clothing. They are an award-winning Charlotte-based clothing brand specializing in high-end casual clothing, custom suits, shirts, sport coats, wedding suits, and you name it. They recently provided me with the best fitting suit I have ever worn in my entire life. I got this navy blue custom suit with this light tan inside of the jacket i got this light tan buttons it looks absolutely fantastic so if you need a shirt if you need a sport coat if you need a suit if you need a belt if you need shoes hit up omj clothing in charlotte north carolina their website is omjclothing.com and if you go into the store tell them next level minds sent you now on to today's guest i am sitting down with neil manit he is a serial entrepreneur and a five time emmy award-winning producer who has sold movies and tv shows to every conglomerate in hollywood across his 30-year career in the entertainment business along the way throughout all these accolades he has had many mistakes and faced an incredible amount of rejection taken a lot of financial risk and frankly has really put himself out there he also has been very involved in the sports world doing things with the x games the olympics espn fox sports speed channel fuel he also has been to over 126 different countries and he's also a guinness book of world record holder as well so you're in for a treat with this guest if you want to hear about entrepreneurship if you want to hear about putting yourself out there if you want to hear about rejection and how to overcome it and if you want to hear more about the film and entertainment industry and some interesting and exciting things about ai and augmented reality this episode is for you let's go ahead and dive in Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the Next Level Minds podcast. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think you were just telling me you got a little flight upcoming is what it sounds like, right? Yeah, I got one of those quick turnarounds from New York. I go on Thursday back on Friday. So, oof, yep. quick one. Yep, yep, yep. Are you, uh, are you flying quite a, quite a bit around this time? I know we're recording in December, so. You know, I'm, I'm traveling all the time. Uh, I mean, every month yep. I'm on a plane to go someplace if I'm not gone you know, half the month or more than a month to many places. So I'm, I'm just, I've been on the road for, man, the last like 20 years, just always making a movie <laughs> or a 
TV show or, you know, working on a project or selling something. So yeah, that, I mean, the road is where I spend probably half my life. Yeah. I was going to say, you probably have an impressive track of airline miles with all of that travel, right? I'm at 126 countries. Um, yeah. And my, my mileage is pretty good. Although the points are worthless. I mean, like Delta has been an airline I've worked with and they've just made them had no value. So that's kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have American and like they used to have value and then like they've slowly just started diminishing them over the years type of thing. So what can you do? Right. We could do a whole podcast and how angry I am at point <laughs> systems within airlines for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they always like when you're on the flight, they always hit you up to get the card or sign up for this and get the points. And they're like, if you sign up, you could get enough points to have a domestic trip anywhere in the United States. And I was like, yeah, maybe if you did like a 18 hour layover and then an 18 hour layover back, but not a traditional like four hour flight there and back type of thing. Right. 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 Uh, if I get the credit card, they let me use the bathroom on the plane for free. That's how bad it's been. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of that, I actually wanted to like kick us off by asking about the 126 countries. I was reading that in your bio a little bit. Like, I think that'd be kind of a good icebreaker to get us going. So like if you had to pick maybe one of your top, three places like do you kind of have those in mind yeah i mean i'm i gravitate to things that um really give me sort of a jolt of energy and now i kind of move at a very high frequency in life uh which is which was kind of shocked my wife who's you know very you know kind of calm all the time and i'm moving pretty intensely i'm carrying a lot of energy with me and so um i look for something that can that can really put that in a hyperdrive for just a moment and places that are not unique for me. So that's like India, um, you know, um, Bangladesh, Papua New Guinea, while it was quiet, it was kind of intense. So the things that are kind of my favorite experiences are these really intense situations that I don't experience often. But if you'd said like something, oh, I would, I would recommend to people, I'm certainly not going to re- recommend people go to intense situations. I would say places that are just absolute great places that are, that anybody can travel in that I don't feel are, are, uh, too dangerous. I think they're fairly safe and, and yet still offer the intensity and also kind of a chill effect. I would say certainly Tokyo is one of those places that can be really intense. Mm. You can also have a real Zen experience. Uh, Istanbul, same deal, very cultural city, East meets West. You get Asia and you get Europe. Again, you can find some intensity, but it's also just, you know, super Zen if you want to get that. And, um, and then I, I've really always been a fan of Africa. You know, when I look at the future of our world in the next 25 years, I don't think there's anything that's more important than Africa. And there's so many places you go in Africa to, uh, to experience uh, history and the people. And, and also, I think, prepare yourself for what's going to happen because Africa is going to become a very developed uh, continent. Um, and it's a massive continent right now. So within Africa, there's, there's, you know, a spectrum of, you know, you could do safaris in many, many countries and you can do them inexpensively. There's, you know, great exchange rate from the U.S. dollar right now to many places in Africa. So, you know, I think that's great. And I also love North Africa. I love Egypt. I think it's one of the most important places in history and everybody should go there. But again, this is a, this is a bolt of lightning into your adrenaline when you're in Cairo. It's, it's bonkers, but it's also special. So, you know, I, those are the places that I would recommend that people go. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like Cairo just has so much going on from an energy level and 
getting that adrenaline fix. And I mean, there's probably also so much you can do there just to kind of fulfill those two different things, right? Yeah, well, the the old city of Cairo, which is the thing that we we know and love with the pyramids and you've seen in the movies, they are simultaneous. I mean, to that existence, they're building a, a city called New Cairo and it's built from the ground up all brand new and they have a new capital they're building with a train line and new freeways. And this is happening and you know, people outside of Egypt don't really know this. But Cairo is a very robust area right now with lots to experience. Mm, absolutely. So I, I want you to touch on your, your background a little bit because you're obviously a super creative guy. I mean, five-time Emmy-winning producer, more than 3,000 uh, episodes of network television, 10 feature films. Um, you've done a lot when it comes to augmented reality. Like this is just a name, scratch the surface things. You obviously have an extremely impressive resume. So I would love if like you could maybe touch on your background and like, where did all of this come from when it comes to film and production and all the awesome creative outlet stuff you, you have done and you currently are doing? Well, I came from an environment of, you know, the 1970s and 80s in the suburb of Detroit. And I tell people, pick your John Hughes movie, whether it's Breakfast Club or, you know, 16 Candles or whatever. I was the same age as those characters. So I kind of had a suburban existence growing up. And back then, you know, bullseye Gen X person, there was really no parental guidance. Uh, My parents were on the extreme end of that. They were from New York City and they'd grown up, you know, in the 30s and 40s and 50s walking around New York with no parental supervision. And so they were like, yeah, whatever. You're in a suburb of Detroit. You know, like nothing's going to happen. Like there was no crime. Of course there was crime. Um, But it was just in like from day one, it was self-reliance and and no one's going to get you anything in life and you have to get it yourself. And being interested in the creative industries and movies and TV, there was no exposure to that in in Michigan, it just, you know, it just didn't exist. And so I, I had been taught that you could do anything. And so I said, well, I just got to figure out how this works. And so I started in public access, kind of like Wayne from Wayne's world. Mm. And I would interview rock stars that came through Detroit, like in that movie, almost famous. Um, but this was before those properties had been created. So I record companies didn't know who I was like, yeah, okay. Sounds like a person let them go backstage and interview B-52s. And then a 16-year-old kid would show up and they're kind of like, oh, we agreed to let this guy interview them. And so, you know, I won the National College Emmy when I was a teenager and then that moved into me being a news reporter. And then I moved to LA. I was a reporter for ESPN and I ended up producing the OJ trial for ABC News. And at that point I was like, I can do anything as long as I have the focus uh, and the ability to sell it to people. And so then I just started making movies and I started selling TV shows. And each time it was, you know, like, you know, the, the, almost like the fake it till you make it thing. And I made it. And, and people never questioned it because I behaved professionally along the way. And the more you do, the more you learn. And so at some point I hit a base knowledge of, of understanding of media and production that I could then just add to it anytime. Oh, I want to get into VR air. Well, I already know storytelling at this level. So I just, just learned the tech and put that on top of it. And, and then now I'm at a point where new things happen and I'm just like, no problem. Let me figure out how that works. And I can quickly jump into creating content there. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's super cool because like as your experience builds, it kind of gets slightly easier, if you will, to do things that maybe used to take you a long time or that you were scared to do. And then you talked about kind of the, the AI component. It's like, okay, well, I already know this side of the house. Like now I just need to learn kind of this side and, and kind of build from there. 
Um, when you were first starting out, though, you mentioned Detroit. There wasn't a big industry for it, obviously. So, like, what did you do just to kind of like self-educate and, and self-learn? And like, what advice would you have maybe for somebody else out there who's like, yeah, I'm trying to start a a food truck, but food truck's not popular where I'm at. Or I'm trying to start XYZ, but it's not big where I'm at. Like what, what kind of general things did you do and what advice might you have as well? Well, it's, it's an entirely different ball game than when I was a kid. I mean, we have the internet now. It's so yep. you know, YouTube and the internet, you can learn how to do anything. You can learn from other people's pitfalls. Uh, you know, there obviously people create courses. I have a course uh, for people who want to make it in media and it's called the Creator Accelerator. It's at neilmant.com. And it's specifically designed for a person who says, okay, either I'm new to the business or I'm in the business and I just don't know where to go or how to navigate or how to cross some podcasts into TV. And since I've done all of these things, I made this 13-hour, uh, 12-week, 144-episode class that people can consume and they would they come out of it like ready to go. Like college yeah. doesn't really prepare you for – where to move in LA and how to navigate around the city and how to get meetings and how to turn a no into a yes. You don't really learn that in college. You learn the fundamentals that you can build on. I fill that next gap. And whether you're in my business and you're trying to learn from me or others in any industry, whether in the food truck industry or whatever, there's someone like me who's an expert who cares about sharing knowledge with other people and wants others to succeed. I mean, your success is my success. All of us are in the same thing. And so I want everyone to be successful so we can set standards of quality that we can all be proud of. And so I didn't have the internet. I didn't have anything to look at. So I kind of played in the world of logic. I watched entertainment. I watched movies and TV shows. And I just, you know, I thought, well, how could they be making this? And then whenever I get access to seeing a behind the scenes doc or something, I would look at it or I'd read some books. And then I just have that framework of, well, this is the way that these experts talked about experiencing these things and I have seen them in movies and I just started dissecting them and saying, okay, well behave like a professional. Oh, sorry. My computer. Sorry. <laughs> My internet played, I guess we'll have to cut that part out. Right. I hope. Yep. Write it down. There we go. Um, but when I was young, there was no internet for me to learn from. Uh, so I was, you know, piecemealing my knowledge together from books and logic and putting things together. Um, and and I had some sort of internal compass and creative ability that I was able to tap into. But um, today, people, all the info's out there for you. It, what, what today I think people need more than anything is motivation and focus and determination because it's those who are the most determined that will be successful. Yeah, I was going to say like there's there's no shortage of information whether it's it's film or entrepreneurship in general or sales or whatever it is that you're trying to do it's like there's podcasts about it, there's books about it, right. but it's I think from what I see and you probably have a, a greater lens than I do, but it's like there seems to be a lack of focus and a lack of determination and and frankly just a lack of action, but like that's what I like about your stories because it was like okay, I didn't have the internet back then. I got to go actually watch the shows or go find a book about this. And so the curve to learn probably took a longer. And then you were like, all right, I'm going to go do this. And then you won the the college Emmy as you referenced earlier. And it's like, man, that, that's super inspiring. Like, do you think kind of action at the end of the day is just like 
the best thing people can do to kind of get to their goals. Cause I, I, there's so many people that have goals out there, but they haven't like hit them type of thing. So. Well, I, I think people need to understand that uh, failure is a requirement for success and people are fearful of failure. And they're also um, not interested in the steps that it takes to really master something. They, they want, they want to get there quicker. And while you can get information from the internet and you can learn how to learn the true success comes with practice. You know, that you've heard the phrase practice makes perfect. And, you know, or if you're writing something, it's like, you got to put, you know, 40,000 hours into it or whatever the hours are. Uh, but there's a number until you master something. People don't want to put in that time. They want immediate gratification. You know, back in the olden days, people would have apprenticeships. And I think we're going to see more apprenticeships happening right now as people question, you know, how important college is going to be and trade skills. But you would be an apprentice and you would, you know, you'd work for somebody for free, you know, for a period of time. And you'd be a part of whatever their existence is. And they had a responsibility to train you. So there could be a transition where either you were taking over their business or you would go on and you would be an expert and you would be able to be employed with that validation that you went through that apprenticeship. People now want an internship and they want to do it very quickly and they don't want to learn anything. It's even if they're open to an internship. Most people now just want to, I want to go to the top and I want to be in charge. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, you, you, you need the scars. You have to have had the problems, the downs with the ups to be successful. And I promise you, I'm, I've been stabbed and shot at and I got all the scars you need to be successful. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the best way to learn is just getting kind of that experience under your belt. And in regards to, to the failure, I mean, one of the main themes of this podcast and in and, and my introduction, I always say, you know, talking to masters of their craft and how they got from point A to point B, overcame adversities, failures, setbacks along the way. And I think that's why the listeners have grown so much, because they're also failing and getting setbacks and adversities on, on their journey. So, I mean, what's kind of like, a big failure that, that you experienced maybe early on in your career that, that maybe shaped where you are today, or I, I imagine going and, and kind of selling your, your film and your, and your productions is, is no easy battle. I'm sure there's a lot of rejection there. So, I mean, I'd love if you could just touch on a few that, that come to mind. Well, I, I think that's, you do said something that's really important there. You, you talk about failure and you talk about rejection. Uh, yep. I, I have, I don't know of anybody in my world. I'm sure there's people, plenty of people out there, but in my world, the people that I know that I've, I've met in my whole career, I've never met anyone who's been rejected as much as I have. And the, mm -hmm. the reason that is, is because no one's tried as much as I have. They've never done as many things as I had and tried so many, you know, different alternative ways of doing things. And with that comes rejection. Uh, and you have to be willing to put yourself out there and have somebody just, just destroy you with their words or their lack of funding or whatever. You have to be ready and accept that. Or if you make things and you put it out and let people critique it and review it, you better be ready for that rejection and, and meanness. And I've seen that and I've experienced it and I've become thick to that in my skin and it's like, it's fine, you know? So the failure would come if I didn't learn anything from that. If I didn't take those rejections and refocus it and re-energize what I'm going to do either and a new way of approaching that project or just saying, all right, that project is not right at this moment in time. Determining that, making that self-determination that you're going to either pause a project or shelf it until it's more mature or until you've hit a different point or for whatever reason, that is not a failure. 
That I believe is success and identifying where you are in that moment in time with that project. So I don't have a single failure in my life. I have a million rejections, but nothing's failed because even the things that I had hoped to be successful with in a moment in time, I realized that it wasn't going to work at that moment. That doesn't mean that I've thrown those ideas away. I got a, a hundred ideas that I've been sitting on that were what others would have considered a rejection or a failure in their life because of the rejection. I just think of it as a timing issue or mm. the, the full component of it could not be a thing for whatever reason. Even timing wouldn't have changed that. But this little nugget out of it, I pulled out of it. And so sometimes it's like you build this whole thing. And just because the whole thing didn't work and one little piece does work, that's not a failure. That's a success. So it, it really is in your self-analysis. You have to be constantly doing an analysis of yourself and saying, all right, where am I? Where am I with my projects? How am I feeling about things? You know, I've always got six, seven companies I'm, I'm developing or running at the same time moving forward, not knowing which is going to be which, and then I have to scale accordingly. Now, that's taken me years of running companies and experiences to be able to kind of spin all those, spin all those plates at that same time. Um, but it's, it's not a single thing that I look at. I say it's failure. It's, it's just the, the larger part of rejection. Now, things of mine that I wanted to do that didn't go as big as I wanted to go, oh, my God. Dude, a million things. You know, we can talk here all day long about my big dreams for things and and maybe the limitations of how they were received or distributed. There's too many of those to, you know, when you do my self-analysis of what I had hoped and what it became, what it became. But as far as other people looking at me, I'll, I'll even close friends, I'll say, you know what, I I'll come close to using that word, you know, with people at some points in the past. Not saying I failed, but just like, wow, this was a a what you know but a negative thing and they'll be like what are you talking about you hit this high you did this that's amazing and i'm my worst critic and i'm always mm. saying could i have done better could i have worked harder is with it within my capacity and 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 with that attitude i'm always trying to pull the best out of myself yeah and i was going to say like having that self-analysis of like how could i do better how could i improve how could i get to that next level of the other side of me and all that it's like that's how you get better. That's how you do better. That's how you have a better arsenal of things that you've done just from an experience standpoint. So I love that you mentioned that. But, but hold on. I want to add to that. It's also, yeah, important. it's also important for entrepreneurs out there who, who are like me, who think like I do. And for whatever reason, they haven't had, you know, the sexy success I had with a movie or a TV show, you know, success is incremental and it's all should be contextualized for your world. But you have to also have what I bring to the table, which is reason within yourself. You cannot look at yourself negatively and, and get, get yourself down. You have to contextualize and look at yourself and analyze the situation. Say, okay, I did the best I could do there. And this is what this was. And I'm going to celebrate whatever I did for myself. And you need to be able to celebrate yourself and say, you know what? I'm trying. I think I did something amazing for whatever the capacity was. And for whatever reason, it didn't go beyond that. I'm not going to beat up myself for it. I'm going to celebrate what I did, and I'm going to wish myself luck in the next thing. But I'm going to understand where I am, make sure I'm behaving correctly with others. But I can't get down on myself. I have to be myself's best critic and myself's best cheerleader. I have to do both of those things at the same time. And I can never lose that because in there, you fall into the chasm of depression. And that's a very dangerous thing to be in as an entrepreneur. 
Yeah, or just anybody who's put themselves out there, like you, at, especially on the early phase of rejection after rejection after rejection. How, how do you balance that uh, that belief system of of like? Because well, let me backtrack. Like with with rejection, do you have the opinion that it's seasons of rejection? That's like, all right, this last three months has just been super tough, and then you start having some wins. Because I'm kind of putting on my sales hat, like. I'll have some quarters where I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like I could ride this high all day. And then I'll have another quarter where it's like, no, 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 no. Everything's falling apart and then back to normal. So like, are you of the opinion that kind of your industry is a little bit like that as well of like kind of the ebbs and flows or what are your thoughts there? Well, the, the, the business I play in as a producer or as an entrepreneur is not the same as a quarterly sort of salesperson and how they can represent right. themselves and, and assess themselves. Many of my projects arc over years. Uh, the movie business is very slow. So if you, I'm going to make a movie from beginning to end. If I had the idea and the funding and the script, two years would be light speed to get through the entire process of producing it and selling it domestically and then going to foreign sales markets and selling it internationally and getting it all done and collecting your money. Two years would be very fast. People don't think about that. People think I just shoot the movie and it comes out with the sound and music and it's all ready to go and I'm making money. It does not. And there's a lot of beating along the way and trying to get a deal out of somebody and not getting ripped off. Two years would be quick. So that could easily be three or four years. So if you're in the movie business, you've got this wave of things that are arcing. And that four or five years in the movie, it could become that long because of delays, because money falls out or talent falls out. And you just got to keep it going and keep pushing as the creator and the producer. Um, so, you know, in, in movies, it can be very slow TV. Also, if I had an idea today and I was like, Oh, I'm going to make the show and everybody got on board, the network bought it and it all lined up six months would be light speed to get that on TV. Mm. And, and as the producer, I may not even make money in season one. So that could be another year and a half until I make money because I'm the guy that's responsible. And so if there's overages on editing or whatever, the network's going to say, good luck, Neil, you better get that done or we're never going to work with you again. And I, I just had a, a conversation with somebody recently about about artificial intelligence and and producing and, and actors and writers and and this this may be something that's of interest to you uh, because we we had this recent strike with the writers and actors and the person I was talking to was was t- you know was taking sort of a, a position that the actors and the writers had more to lose uh, than a producer did and I said well what do, what do you mean by that and they're like well they're whole business, the actor or the writer's creativity. The producer's all about money. And I, I said, that's just not true. Um, I'm a producer. I've also been an actor and a writer and a director. Often I played all those roles on a given project, like my movie Last Stop for Paul or my movie Hijack in Hollywood or my TV show Next Stop for Charlie, which I wrote, directed, produced, and I starred in. Um, but I'm, I don't work for anybody at all. You know, it's, it's not like I'm just a hired gun and, you know, studios are writing me checks. I eat what I kill, meaning right. on a movie or a TV show, the actor comes in and is hired and they work a period of time. Same with the director and the writer. I'm there the whole time. The producer is the first person in. They come up with the concept. They hire the writer. They hire the director. They hire the actor. They hire all the crew. They cut the deal with the network of the studio. They have to manage all the money. And then when all these people go away through the process of finishing their jobs, the producer is the very last person that's there at the end. And if there's a nickel left over, then I get paid. 
So I take all of the risk in these projects, and sometimes I have to self-finance them. And, and the idea that I'm not creative is, is insane. The producer is the person who's responsible for everything along the way. And so my response to that person when they talked about the actors now, maybe they're in trouble because of AI or the writers may be in trouble because of AI and this is going to disrupt them. Yes, it's going to disrupt the industry that they are in right now. Forget it. It's gone. It's like, you know, we shouldn't be arguing about how it is now. We should be looking to the future. And these new AI tools, which are really not there yet, but they're very, very close within the next 12 months, that actor or that writer could use these AI tools to make their own movie about themselves. So the actor could be the writer, the director, the producer, and star in their vehicle that is designed to make them look great. And they could produce it themselves on their computer. And they wouldn't need it to be picked out of a lineup. Remember the actor's business pretty much is being picked by a casting director to then go to other people to be elected. And if that casting director had like a bad sandwich for lunch, you know, you, you may not get selected. So now the actor can disrupt all of those people and they can make the vehicle that stars them or the writer can do the same thing. They can make their own TV series. They don't need the producer or the studio. They can become everything. And so the playing field is being leveled now. Everybody's the same. And so for me as a producer, I don't have to hire all these other people I necessarily needed to in the past because I can use the tools to create you know, this content, my cat's meowing. I don't know if we hear him. Um, and yeah. so I love that there's this level playing field that's about to happen that everybody can rise up. Everybody can be an amazing talent. And, you know, it's, we saw a democratization of content creation with YouTube and with the cell phone and people with the camera. We're going to see a long form democratization of content, movies and TV shows created by people in their basements from, you know, India to India. From Indiana to India and North Dakota to, yeah. to uh, you know, uh, France or whatever. And and it's going to change that whole Hollywood system dramatically. So while the people here in Hollywood are complaining about it, they're going to be disrupted by the whole world. I mean, you know, 15 years ago before the smartphone really took off, you've got to think about where the content was made. It was probably 90 plus percent made in Hollywood. Now it's 99% made around the world and not in Hollywood. The Hollywood content is a fraction of the global media we see on YouTube and TikTok and on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. Now, the, the long form content is still dominated by Hollywood, the movies and the TV show, but that's about to go away. And it's better that we get on board and we understand this as creatives and we all start to use it instead of complaining about it. Because, you know, I always tell people, I say, the guy who says it can't be done, I better watch out. He's about to get run over by the guy who's doing it. Mm. that that's super interesting so i would love if you could break that down a little bit more so from my understanding you're saying with these ai tools that aren't quite there yet but could be there in the next uh we'll be there. 12 months we'll be there, we'll be there. We'll so be you're there. saying like one person could do the actor the producing all of it and produce it so like who who's gonna play you know the co-lead or the extra like how, how does that work i didn't really capture that kind of understanding with it well, the, the, the first generation tools will be available within the one year. And we're going to see early gotcha. adopters, people who, who understand the technology and storytelling, people like myself, who are going to utilize that stuff. But within the next four years, by 2028, anybody will be able to use this with ease. And you will simply talk to it. And you just, like right now, chat GPT, you could type into it, but you could also use your microphone on your phone and talk into it, right? 
So we all believe in voice activation. So you could talk to it and say, write me a paragraph about this, and it would do it. So just by talking to it, it would generate text. Well, soon you'll be able to generate full video and visual effects. And so you'd say, make me a scene of a character. And this is where it can get really cool and granular. So Tom Cruise and The Rock and Mark Wahlberg, these people are successful movie stars because of a thing called a Q rating. And this is a science that goes into when they make a movie, they'll test screen it. And there'll be people in the audience who get to see the movie in advance and they'll be given a little scorecard. You know, did you like the movie? Give it a nine out of 10. Great. Did you like the actor? And then they'll get granular from there and they'll be like, what do you like about the actor? I liked his hair. I liked his smile. I liked his attitude. And so over the years of the testing, these big movie stars like The Rock or Tom Cruise or Mark Wahlberg, there's enough data behind them that says, this is the, this is the reason that they work. And this is the reason why Mark Wahlberg should never be playing a guy in a business suit. He should be, you know, a, a guy on his down on his luck who's having trouble and, you know, lost his dog and his car and his girlfriend. And, and that's who Mark Wahlberg needs to be. And he needs to play that role and only play that role. And The Rock, you see him, he's always the same guy. He's not coming out and playing something different. He's The Rock. And Tom, Cru- Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. You know? yeah. And so now you sort of look at this. You say, oh, now I understand why maybe a guy like Matthew Perry had difficulty uh, getting roles outside of Friends or Matt LeBlanc. You know, because they were that character. They walked into the room and the casting was like, you're perfect for Chandler. And he just played himself. And so all these movie stars are essentially playing a version of themselves. Well, the new creator could tap into that data, essentially, and could say, give me a movie star that has the similar Q rating, meaning the data associated with The Rock and Mark Wahlberg and Tom Hanks. Tap into that data. And that data is available out there. Give me someone who meets all of those requirements that connect with the audience, whatever that science is. Okay, give me the, create the perfect character for me, and it would create a three dimensional, photorealistic looking human that emotionally has whatever the similarities that those things need that make that work that sauce. And then just say, create me a second character and another character, and keep me five other characters that make sense with this character in this kind of action scene. Uh, and there's a good guy and a bad guy, and I want to rocket launch from a mountain and I want you know the girl to get away in the end and save us from all the bad stuff and I want a couple of comedy pieces and it make me a 30 minute TV show it'll make it and then you'll watch it and you'll type it or you'll talk back and you say you know what the first act was pretty good it got a little wonky in the third act and this scene seemed outrageous make these changes and you will continue to finesse it communicating with it and until it spits out a TV show that you like and then you will be able to say to it Maybe 20 episodes of this. And that's where it's going to start. And within a decade, you as a viewer won't necessarily even have to tap into the shows that have been made. You'll just talk to your TV or your phone or whatever it is. Most likely it'll be augmented reality. And you'll say, I want this type of a show. And it will just custom make the program for you. Or it may tap into the shows that I made or somebody else that you follow. Um, But yeah, this is... This is it, man. It's all changing. Dude, that's crazy. I, I mean, I, I use AI for my stuff, but like I had no idea that there was, you know, being used in, in that type of fashion, you know, down in the future. So like like it so what's gonna happen kind of to, to your industry then? I'm just kind of curious. Um I think like, that let's people, say someone I, I think all we have to do is look at history. You know, I'm a big fan of history. Yep. Uh, I think that anyone in business should be studying history 
certainly related to your industry, but just in general, because history is cyclical. It, it definitely repeats itself. So let's just kind of look at a broad base of history, right? And let's, let's just take a moment, an exercise. I haven't done this with somebody. So I'm going to ask you some questions and, and then you answer it and we'll see how it plays out. Okay. I'm pretty bad at history. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm going to supply the history. You're just going to give me the answers to my questions. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So there's a moment in time when everyone had to handwrite Bibles and handwrite everything. And then Gutenberg comes around and he makes the printing press. Here's my question. How many times have you cried about the guy who was a handwriter of Bibles or stuff and he's out of work now because it's printing press? Have you cried about that guy? Nope. Never. It never entered your mind. I mean, that whole workforce was wiped out. Okay. Let's move ahead. All right. So now uh, we get to a situation and we, the business of entertainment has been live uh, forever. Uh, there has just been, you know, vaudeville shows and different performances that travel. And then suddenly someone creates uh, the cinema. Uh, Edison creates a film camera. And suddenly now the vaudeville shows have dropped down because now I can go to a movie and I, I don't have to have a live performer. I can see this filmed entertainment over and over. The producers only have to make it one time. There's no additional cost. How many times have you cried about those vaudeville performers who are now out of work and have been for a hundred and something? Ne- never, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. same answer. So then we move ahead to the TV takes over from the radio and the radio days. Remember the old radio performers that do shows and they're gone. You've How many times have you cried about them? Okay. Same answer. So yeah. IBM, their whole business has been uh, typewriters. There's a whole mm. thing that they've been about. And there were steno pools of millions of people who worked typing up things for their, their you know, other workers and what needed to be done for their company. And now the computer arrives and the typewriter dies. How many times have you cried about all those people that were typists? Yeah. Never. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. So now we move forward into a situation where there's AI and it's disrupting content creation in a way that is going to make it so more people can make more money and and more content. And yet we're all crying about that. But why are we crying about this? We've seen this in history. It's going to happen. Kodak, gone. They didn't see it happen. Blockbuster, gone. They didn't see it happen. The, the typewriter gone. You're not crying about any of this stuff. You're like, give me my streaming. I want all my Netflix. I want all this stuff. So let's not get caught up in this moment of time, which is subject to inevitability. It cannot be stopped. And it logically doesn't make sense to stop. And we have seen through information over the years, and media is information. We have watched it, how it's created and how it's distributed change. And no one cares about it anymore. So we're hypersensitive right now, but go ahead a couple of years. I think it's 2028. We're all starting to wear AR glasses. The phone is starting to be eliminated. We're experiencing content in different ways. In a decade from now, the the way TV is done now and the way movies are done right now are going to feel like vaudeville. It's going to be very, very different. Yeah, because like even some of like the the CGI stuff is like crazy, and that's obviously like older news. But like um, Avatar, like I remember they were the OG out there of putting out that crazy movie with a lot of CGI, and now like every movie does it type of thing, right? And that's just like scratching the surface basic stuff, I assume. So, well, yeah, well, you won't yeah. need anybody to make Avatar. You'll be able to make it in your living room soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And think about what that I, costs to make and the time and the hand doing of all this I mean, gone he doesn't even make movies like that anymore 
You know, his new Avatar yeah. movies are not made the way the original one was moved, made because of AI. So if you're like a, and you said school didn't really prepare you exactly for all the producer stuff, but let's just say you're, you're coming out of school as a producer, like what's the best way to get ahead? Just like really understand the AI component or, or what are your thoughts there? Well, if someone's like very serious, I mean like really serious about making it in media and I'm not just right. limiting it to like, I want to make a Hollywood movie. I mean, let's just say you're an online content creator and you want to think bigger, whether that's making TV shows or whatever else. Like for real, the only thing I would recommend is take my course. <laughs> like that's the, the yeah. first step is, you know, give yourself a shot. But if you're, if you're discounting me and you're like, ah, whatever that guy says, then I would focus on AI content creation and try and figure it out on your own. I, I made the course so people don't have to figure it out. I give them specific roadmaps. But if you're just like, whatever, I gotta, I gotta learn the hard way or the extra hard way, then I would just be tracking AI content and KI stuff all the time. That'd be the only thing I'd be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, and I want to add to that. It's not, people are like, Oh, I'm a purist. I'm a purist. I don't want, what it's idiotic. I'm a purist. What are you talking about? We should be in the business of making things efficiently, uh, effectively of high quality and use the uh, best tools possible. What is it? I made movies on 35 millimeter. I mean, with film, no one uses that anymore. You know, I hear about a handful of filmmakers. Like I have to, Use film. It's stupid. Like running film through sprockets and processing it. Why? You can shoot it digitally and you can make it look the same and you can have a more powerful product that, you know, you could duplicate the assets quickly. It's like purists. Get real. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's like, it's, it's crazy like how fast it's moving. I don't know if you saw this or not, but I was reading something the other day where this guy made an Instagram account of this like AI generated girl and just posted a bunch of seductive photos, bikinis, all that stuff. And she ended up getting like a lot of direct messages from all these guys like, hey, I want to take you out, I want to take you out. And literally it was like an AI generated female. And I'm like, that is just crazy. Like, Yeah, I started following an AI female on Instagram maybe in 2017. There's something that I started following way before anyone was talking about AI. Yeah. And it's... it's other, it's also referred to as a digital human. And I've been working in the digital human space for quite a while. And so as soon as I learned of this, I, I went to a, 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 like a private meeting in Hollywood with some AI creators and somebody had created this thing. And I started following it. And at the time, it had just a couple thousand followers, which I thought was really impressive. But the, the person who created it, they told me, they said, they get direct messages all the time talking to this fake thing. And, and it's not just like direct message in private, but, you know, on the, the messaging and the, and the, and the you know, the message comments and stuff. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can, couldn't come up with, I'm an old man. And, um, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it's super personal. It talks to it. Like it's a thing. And I was like, wow. So yeah, not surprised. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to ask you this, like, as we're, we're starting to close out here. Um, why do you think, so many people are, are afraid to, to go after their dream. Cause obviously you've gone after yours. You got a bunch more that you want to, want to accomplish, but you've crushed it in my opinion, when it comes to accolades and awards and all this stuff. So like, why do you think so many people are afraid to go after the good stuff like that? Well, I think people are afraid of going after the good stuff. As you say, you know, the yeah. word failure is, is a big thing. Um, pain associated with failure. Um, 
negative reviews in life from their friends and family. You know, I can tell you personally that uh, even though I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm boiling over with confidence. Uh, my mother used to say when I was, as I, when I was an adult, you know, I was like, what was I like as a kid? And she said, you know, if Christmas time came and there was a pile of shit under the Christmas tree, Neil would say, where's the horse? I'm the <laughs> most positive person that people who know me have ever met. And they say it almost to a fault. And because of that positivity, uh, sometimes it leads me into projects that don't succeed at a level that I wanted to. Most people can't handle that with one. You know, they, they, I try something and it doesn't become a hit or it doesn't do whatever. Like, uh, why, why try again? I didn't make, I tried, it didn't happen. You know, it is very, very hard to take something from beginning to the end. That is not for everybody. And, and what I've learned along the way um, is, A, I have a, an incredible stomach for risk. But as I've also learned about team building and how important it is to not even attempt to do it all. Now, I mean, that's going to change in a second with AI, which I'm super excited about because I have this great base knowledge. But I think everyone needs to understand that you need people to work with, which brings up a whole other sort of thing, like partners. Can you trust your partners? And I've had partners that didn't work out well, but then I had partners that were great. And so it's it's just like so hard on many levels. Like, where do I start? How do I get the capital? Who can I trust? Who will deliver for me? And in the media business or, in fact, in any business, that's a lot. It's a lot. And the only way you can get good at that is by going out and trying it and having some things that did great and having some things that didn't great. Um, and I'm, I'm still doing that, even though I've done all these things in my career and I have this great base knowledge of many things. When I move into something new, I'm like everyone else. I'm at the bottom of the line. You know, in my career, I made it, I think, to the top of news. I was a reporter for the networks. I produced the OJ trial. That would have been, I think we could agree, one of the biggest stories of the 20th century. I think, you know, for a 26-year-old who had done those things, I'd kind of hit the height of news. And so I then went to the bottom of the line of indie filmmaking. And I made my way all the way up to the point where A24 bought one of my movies and Disney bought one of my movies. I was like, okay, great. I got that. TV, bottom. Had to work my way back up. You know, AI, AR, VR, bottom. And I'm I'm not opposed to going to the bottom and working my way back up because I know – you know, it's going to be a fight the whole way. And I'm going to come out of it with this different level of knowledge. And you kind of just, you know, like Lego box, you start stacking them and suddenly you have a structure. And so why do people struggle with this? Because it's hard. Mm. It's hard. It's really hard. And it's not for everybody. It is not. Most people could not stomach it. But for those who have it in them, I'm here to tell you that you owe it to yourself to try. You owe it to yourself to not give up. That doesn't mean quit your job and do whatever you have to do to your family to get what you want. I mean, you can separate these things and you can do more than one thing at a time. And that's the skill that you have to master. How do I do two things at the same time? How do I have the job that provides for everybody, but yet be an entrepreneur here where I can build something? And then the more you do that, all right, let's try the third thing. I got my job, this extra side hustle, this side hustle, and then maybe something hits. But I think what we all are starting to realize, or I'm, I'm hopeful other people are realizing, is that the, the days of getting a job and being there for 30 years are gone. Sorry, I'm bugging from you. Yeah. I, think, I think we're all realizing, sorry, I think we're all realizing the days of getting a job and staying there for 30 years are over and getting a gold watch. We all will have to 
here's a really important word, pivot at some point. And to date, pivoting, I've sort of observed people look at it as a negative term in that I was forced to pivot. Life made me pivot. The job didn't work out or this happened. And I, I had to pivot. No one really thinks of pivoting as on purpose. And that's how I see it. I'm pivoting on purpose always. I see opportunities before they happen. Because I've done enough things, I can see trouble. And way in advance, I can say, this is going to require this change, which is a pivot. But all my pivots, as much as I can make them, are calculated and are chosen by me in advance. And the only way you can do that is to have a good base knowledge of entrepreneurship and having seen ups and downs. And you, can, you look, you can read a million books about entrepreneurs and you could learn from them for sure. You don't have to do it all yourself, but you need to find that base knowledge somehow and pivot with purpose. That's how I want to live my life. And that's how everybody should be living their lives. Man, I love that a lot. I uh, Honestly, I might title the episode Pivoting with Purpose. I think that's a pretty riveting title there. You should. That's a great title. Pivot with Purpose. Yeah. I think it's very yeah. important. If we have to take one thing out of this is that it's okay to pivot. You should expect it in life and prepare for it. We all will be entrepreneurs moving forward. Everybody. Agreed. I mean, like, that's such a good point. Like, so many people aren't staying in the jobs, like you said, 25, 30 years. I mean, there's a good book I, I read not too long ago called Death of the Gold Watch. And it talked about the gig economy and how people are doing side hustles and even broke down like how people are driving for Uber to like make extra money so they don't have to rely on that that job uh, as much. So I think that's super interesting. And and then again, with these AI tools, like there's so many opportunities out there from an entrepreneurial perspective if you utilize them correctly, um, which I love. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that last point. I, I, I love that. I'm t- I, look, man, I call it like I see it. And I, I want yeah. to be real all the time, you know, no bullshit like this. I tell you exactly what I think. For sure. So where can people connect with you? I know you talked about your, your course um, earlier, but, you know, where else can people connect with you? I, I'm, neilmant.com is the, kind of the hub for Neil Mant, and it's spelled N-E-I-L-M-A-N-D-T. Uh, but I'm on social, you know, TikTok, the Instabox, you know, the Facebook, all this stuff. You can find me wherever you like to find me. Um, but the course, the website, that's really where people could learn from me. Yeah. Do you I have spread, a, you I, I spread my message across socials. So I'm not just doing like, I'm not doing fart videos on YouTube. I'm, I'm putting out <laughs> meaningful pieces of content about what I have in the course and what I have to say. So you could, you get the bite-sized information just by following me on social for sure. Yep, absolutely. Do you have any exciting um, like pieces or, or anything you're excited about coming out in the next like year or two that people can be on the lookout for, like another course book, things like that? Well, I always continue to make coursework. This is the first one I've made. Nice. Um, so, you know, we just, just started on this one, so I'm excited about this. But I'll tell you something that I'm really uh, looking forward to doing in the next year that I think is going to be revolutionary, and I, I believe I will be one of the earliest people ever to do this. This is what I see as the future of media. So Apple is putting out a pair of AR, VR glasses called the Apple Vision Pro. This will usher in the third version of the internet, which people have referred to as the metaverse. That word feels toxic to me now. What it really means is a 3D internet. You may have heard of people saying, well, we're going to build our metaverse. That's not a thing. The metaverse is the internet in 3D. That's it. 
So we will all have experienced the metaverse if we use that term, or we just call it the three internet, or we call it the spatial web, or we will probably just continue to call it the internet. And that'll be it. It'll just be distributed and accessible in 3D using AR glasses and in VR as well. But it will be overwhelmingly augmented reality. And people are, have not caught on to this yet because there hasn't been a real device. Apple will be the first real device. And following them, there's been an announcement, Qualcomm and Google and Samsung, that they will be putting out a pair of similar glasses at the end of 2024. Facebook has been working on some. They have something now that has recently come out with uh, Ray-Ban. It's not so great. I'm not so impressed with it, but it shows augmented reality in play. But it will become the norm in four years, I believe, that we'll wear glasses and we'll see more and more 3D content. And so what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be using the new Apple glasses because they have cameras on them, which can do something called LiDAR. And LiDAR is also in your phone. And this is a scanning technology that you would use the camera. So as an example, I have this water bottle here and I could use the camera or the cameras in the phone and it would capture this and the backside of it, which the camera doesn't see, it would predict what it looks like. And then, and this, by the way, this exists right now. I could do this trick right now. I could capture this with my phone. I could hold the phone up, capture it. And then I could later, I could come back with my phone and use it. And I could show it, put it on the desk and the, the phone, the bottle would not be there, but in the phone's camera, it would appear to be there. And the most famous thing that we've seen, this is Pokemon Go. So Pokemon Go is actually, you don't see it at the location, but you hold up your phone and you see it through the phone's camera, right? Okay. So now imagine that I'm producing a reality show. And let's just say it's just for format. It's easy to understand. A housewife type show. And I have these housewives at a restaurant in Beverly Hills. And a couple of my buddies, we go there with our cell phones. We turn on the LiDAR camera and a couple of us wearing the glasses. And we're just standing there watching it and recording it. And then I put that into the new Apple glasses in, let's say, next spring. And there's a, a show. And it's called Neil's Housewife Show. And you click on it. And then using glasses in your living room, you see the table with those five ladies mm-hmm. arguing over the steak dinner. And if I was to go back to that restaurant to where the table was and I said, activate Neil's show wearing glasses, I would see the ladies at the table there. So the reality television will become real in your living room, real at the location. And I will be one of the first people to create a full series in 3D reality discovered in augmented reality. And I'm super excited about that. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And I think uh, I think it'll be super unique too if you pair that with the items that you were talking about, like play me a show on XYZ mm-hmm. later down the line of you were one of the first individuals to have the augmented reality mixed with all the things you were talking about earlier and and boom. So I can tell you're, you're definitely amped up. I'm going to follow up with you in like a year to be like, Hey, what's going on with this? Because I, I, I definitely want to hear an update. It will be available within a year, guaranteed, if not within eight months. Yeah, like, absolutely. We, we will talk about it 12 months from now, and we will be able to evaluate how well it did. And I think it's going to not only be successful because it's creative and it's different, but because there will be very few people who create content for those classes in year one. And it's just the ones who get there early that will succeed in. So just by being there, If I made anything in a halfway decent, I think it would be well-received. But I'm going to make something that's super pro. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, your your barrier to entry from, like, uh, back and infrastructure standpoint is pretty complex, but, like, your barrier to entry from a competition standpoint is, is nowhere near where it'll probably be in, like, 10 years because you're obviously one of the first to hop in there and, and do that. So, um, well, I think again, two years. I got a two-year runway, and then it's over. Yeah, and then everybody's going to be like, oh, we need to hop on this, hop on this, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but awesome, Neil, this was great. Um, really appreciate you being on the show. Appreciate you sharing all these remarks about your story. Um, thanks for just giving this, uh, I'll call it a lesson on kind of the AI within within uh, your industry because I think that's super unique. Um, and other than that, um, I'll put your, your course and your website in the show notes so people can connect there. Um, but again, thank you so much for hopping on the show. I really appreciate it. It was great being here. I really appreciate the time. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to tune into another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. Be sure to connect with Neil. His website will be below in the show notes. Also, as mentioned at the beginning, if you need a shirt, if you need a suit, if you need shoes, if you need a belt, if you need anything and everything clothing related, go visit omjclothing.com. Like I said at the beginning, the best suit I have ever owned, and I will definitely be going back for more, omjclothing.com.